Welcome to the Pages of Hackney podcast. This is a recording of an event that took place in the shop on the 17th of November 2022 when we welcomed Yomi Shode and Anafiok Neef Ekpadam to discuss Yomi's debut poetry collection, Mannerism. Yomi is an award-winning Nigerian-British writer. He's a recipient of the 2019 Jerwood Compton Poetry Fellowship and was shortlisted for the Brunel International African Poetry Prize 2021. His acclaimed one-man show, Coat, toured nationally to sold-out audiences, including at the Brighton Festival, Roundhouse Camden and the Battersea Arts Centre. In 2020, his libretto Remnants, written in collaboration with award-winning composer James B. Wilson and performed with the Chinike Orchestra, premiered on BBC Radio 3. In 2021, his play And Breathe premiered at the Almeida Theatre to rave reviews. Anafiok Neef Ekpadam is an award-winning writer from South London who documents and explores culture in Britain. In his work, Neef tells stories about the people, voices and communities shaping the country as it exists today. He writes and has written for The Guardian, British GQ, Vogue and more. Elsewhere, he works and has worked with YouTube, Netflix, Google, GRM Daily, Nike, Adidas and more on a range of documentary projects and creative campaigns. Awesome. Everyone all right? Yeah. yeah it's a Thursday, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, everyone, I know that we're going to be sharing some poems in the conversation. You want to check the vibe? Are we good? Yeah. yeah. Awesome source. Not to turn into a raven now, but this is, this is, this is our emotions. Um... So I'm going to share three poems. Um, each of them represents a different part in the book, and I think that's the best way in, so thing, type thing. Um, cool, so I'm going to, I'm going to read um, The Door of No Return. Um, so in the Bible, in the Bible, there is a, there is a passage in there that, that, that talks about... Um, angels visiting joseph to warn joseph and say yo 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 king herod is coming to kill baby jesus so you need to get jesus out of here now type thing and joseph is like oh cool i can't try to deny no angels and it's jesus so we're off and we're gone <laughs> um, and they go and um, Caravaggio is a painter that I'm, I'm drawing parallels to in this book. Caravaggio is, is, is an Italian painter, and I'm going to get to him at some point in the discussion. But he painted this depiction of this um, situation, and he called it Rest in the Flight to Egypt. And it just shows Joseph, Mary, and, and baby Jesus resting a bit midway on their, on their flight, on the trip to Egypt. Um, in Nigeria, in, in Benin, there is a monument called Law of No Return. Still there now. Um, it's a tourist attraction and basically it's, the monument is by the beach and overlooking the monument is the Atlantic Ocean where slaves were enslaved Africans were shipped to Europe and the Americas. And it, I, was, I, I just had a moment where I saw the painting and I thought about this monument and I wondered what would have happened if the angels came to visit um, this community of people to give them the advance warning, the advance notion, in the same way that the angels came to visit Joseph. So yeah, just a bit of that kind of preamble and context before we get into it. 
I'm wondering if the angel could have warned the slaves the same way it warned Joseph before King Herod's attempt to kill baby Jesus. The March, Ouida, Benin, 17th century. I'm sure they just walked, parched, paired and chained, ankles to wrists, wrists to neck, heads and eyes to anywhere but each other. Maybe a prayer helped, but what good was God when his wind sifted through bodies bearing lashes? Maybe a song aided, a melody that couldn't be woken up out of sleep, couldn't be dragged grabbing anything in sight to pull itself out of harm's reach, a melody in which one keeps the only thing one could keep. Shorter ship, Ouida, Benin, 17th century. I'm sure that some held still for their arrival. And while they were waiting, I read that they were advised not to turn around, no. That was not their children crying, not their mother or father, their husband or wife, just remnants of a home they'd known scattered between their sandy toes. And once the ship arrived, they rubbed them together to still the fear that rose as they stepped on deck in Ephia, making themselves stone. That was how they faced a world they yet to encounter, by denying those captures the sights of the grief at what they left behind. The ocean, Ouida, Benin, 17th century. I bet they rode harder. Yemoya, were these not your children being taken? Were they not calling for you as each boil on their skin burst? Could you not hear them or the slap of their bodies thrown overboard into your womb? What song did you sing while burying their bones? Silently, they longed for your calling. With the tightness of iron on their legs, they closed their eyes each night and waited, whispering, save us, save us. It doesn't get louder, folks. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. I'm so playing, I'm so, so, so playing. Um, um, cool. So this poem I'm looking for, um, right, so fugitives. <laughs> um, I mentioned earlier, Caravaggio is the painter that I was really interested in looking into his work, his ways of life. I'm not sure folks are aware of Caravaggio at all in, in this space. Um, I kind of call him the bad boy of the art world. I've been saying it and through the tour. Um, <laughs> And folks would be like, I guess, I think at one point in 2023, people would be like, Yo, I know, I know, it's the bad boy of the art world. <laughs> he is. Yeah, it's kind of like the bad boy of the art world. And in a way to describe it, he is to me, or he is, oh, to wait to kind of give you a sense of this. Like, he is, wow, he is to the art world what Mike Tyson is to boxing, right? Um, uh, some could argue Lewis Hamilton to like, Formula One type thing or whatever it is, like um, 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 gas coin to like, like Gaza to like football. Do you know what I mean? Like or the English. But the only difference is barring Gaza because white guy. Um, if we kind of take um, if we take if we take my examples of Mike Tyson and, and Lewis Hamilton, um, those men, to my knowledge, did not kill anyone. This guy did. Um, Caravaggio killed someone. And not only did he kill someone, he like legged it. 
um, not only did he leg it, when he was kind of like went to, <laughs> when he went to like some form of security to be like, oh, um, I've left the person that I've killed. Where he ended up was Malta and he could have been sent to jail, but he was spared jail at the point of him being commissioned to paint someone. And I'm like, wow, look at those graces there. Um, so this poem is titled Fugitives and just the second one just to kind of give you the flavour of the theme of the book. Yep, that's the sirens probably chasing Caravaggio now. <laughs> um, fugitives. Prior to Renuccio Tomassoni's death, Caravaggio had been cautioned, reprimanded by police then set free upon instruction. Constant slaps on the wrist until one afternoon he challenged known pimp and rival Renuccio to a duel over Felide Mendroni, whom they both loved. This is a love story, folks. An illegal duel in the streets of Rome ensued, leaving Renuccio bleeding through his feminal artery. By the time Renuccio Tomassoni's lifeless body was attended to, Caravaggio was nowhere to be found. He fled the Papal States because he could blagging his way out of punishment and into the care of the Knights of Malta. Even when a man lay dead, a painting for the Grand Master granted Caravaggio pardon from the Pope. This is all true story, folks. My ancestors received little grace from the papacy. When decrees were made against the enslavement of American natives, where was the mercy for the souls of Africa? Their, their, their decaying limbs settled on seabeds, or were hung from trees, the branches bending to tell the tale. Their skin was flogged for not listening. Their bodies were sold on like cattle. Where was the pardon for them? On a cold night in December, Jack Shepherd felt a meal was not enough. Having shared two bottles of wine, he took his date for a late night speedboat ride on the Thames. Slaps on the wrist. The police had warned Shepherd on two separate occasions for speeding. By the time the pair were pulled from the water, the boat overturned by a log, the young woman was fighting for her life. Charlotte Brown died in hospital. Caravaggio continued painting and brawling, lauded for his works for four more years, before at last his death caught up with him. He evaded justice at the hands of the law. And Jack Shepherd. One week before his final trial, he ran for fear to Georgia, an animalistic fear that had him jumping on a plane with not much of a plan. Both men fled because they could. They crossed borders with ease because they could. Because white skin is white skin everywhere. Because privilege, irrespective of time, allows a grace period. <laughs> um, final one for this section so the third section um, explores the journey of my grand aunt my, my, my grandmother's sister who died of cancer in 2019 um, and we found out as a family we found out at a very late stage her son uh, her son my cousin it was just them two, and he had been aware of her, just her illness for two years. And for two years, he kept it a secret from us as a family. Like, I'd seen him in between that period. Um, 
and we found out in the poem I'm going to read you in the way we found out but when we found out as a family we had roughly five to five to six odd months of just trying to ensure everything was in place and when she died I um I didn't speak to no one and I'll, again I'll get into that in discussions later but this is one of the poems from that sequence the whole third section of the book goes into this journey of finding out about her illness to the point of the funeral and as black men just this journey from between me and my cousin is i kind of look at it as almost like this this section was written purely out of guilt of of just not being there as much as i would have wanted to be there for for him so yeah that third section addresses it's almost like i'm talking to the you but the you is my my cousin essentially so this is reception one uncle d passed big mummy in the reception area on more than one occasion waiting to be seen my mum told me they would greet each other like it was an awkward encounter at a bus stop they never asked why the other was there that cultural thing you know treating illness like a wet dream tying the sheets in knots to cover the embarrassment in that airy clinical room it was as though there were strangers no one could have guessed the extent of their closeness and then Big Mummy's tiny frame still wrapped against the wind, her bifocal glasses, yet bold, yet formal. They would sit in the ambience provided by ticking clocks. The metronome of the second hand would grow louder until the melancholy loop was broken and one of their names was called, leaving the other more alone. I should mention that Uncle D had a cancer scare roughly a year or so ago. I'm not sure when exactly, that cultural thing, a lump. The size of a table tennis ball grew just above his shoulder blade and refused to budge at look, wanting to pop it with something sharp, to banish it from our lives forever. He saw Big Mummy in there on mornings when branches shed their bark anew. He saw her when the summer shone over everyone, even the most unholy. He saw her on mornings his body trembled beneath his clothes. He saw her until the lump gave in and he went into remission. The same morning, her secret left her. That was the day it flew its nest and found a home in him as they both wept. Yeah, it's always, I always love hearing you read the poem specifically. I think it's one thing to, to read them myself, but then to hear you yeah. say them, I think, always brings a a different element out and I think back to the run of shows you had at the South Bank I think last month yeah, yeah. and one thing it made me want to ask because if you didn't see the shows Yomi he was dancing he was he I was embodying the, <laughs> he, it made me think the bar now is if you want to put out a book you need to learn how to, you need to learn your poems, you need to learn how to dance through all of these poems yeah. but um, it made me want to ask you what was the role that whilst in the writing process what was the role that movement actually played in that process because it doesn't feel like it was just a, a kind of a solitary sit at your laptop and write it feels like there was so much more that went into into crafting these pieces i didn't um yeah like the, the dancing aspect of it <laughs> um, for the for the south bank shows i guess i was very interested in how words move in the body because i really know what how the words kind of sit on the page and i and if I'm to be honest, 
I've gone to so many different South Bank readings of poems and I have seen people sleep in the audience. And I'm just like, <laughs> mate, what? You paid like 1750 for this. You paid like 1750 to come and watch a poetry reading of this person. And your head is so bent to the left and you're snoring. And then I just had a moment. I was like, God forbid. All, all, the, all the Nigerian side of me kicked into gear. I was like, God forbid. I do a poetry reading and someone's in the audience sleeping. What? No way. So I was kind of met with like, no, 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 not on my watch. It's not going to happen. So the idea, so for me, I wanted to make it immersive and I wanted to kind of, um, I wanted to really tap into what an immersive reading experience is like. Um, and lately, I think I've been questioning, I've been questioning art when it comes from a black space. Um, if if I, um, some, my questions are mainly around, can I just create art for art's sake? It seems like creating art from a, a non-white space automatically becomes political. And I'm like, why is that? Like, why can't I just, if I just want to, might be a bit TMI, if I just want to write about a fart, why can't it just be about a fart? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, why does it, why does it have to be like, if I write about a fart, because it's coming from me, it automatically must lend its to something political. It must lend to blackness or racism or something. Why does it have to be political? Do you see what I mean? And I felt all the politics in me being on a South Bank stage potentially memorize these poems because that's what's expected of like a black poet for the most part it's like you're going to have your work memorized it's going to be spoken word and i'm like i want to strip all of those labels and i just want to create work so i'm like so my initial idea was i'm going to have my book in hand for the entire show and i'm going to dance and i'm going to do movement just to be like it doesn't have to be memorized i can still read his poems and still do some bad boy moves it did not happen. It was not the. It was one of the most difficult things I've had to do. Like, and Kenrick, who was the choreographer, a movement consultant, he was laughing at me as I was holding this book in my hand and trying to. I found myself getting louder and louder. And he's like, "Fam, why are you shouting for?" I'm just like, <laughs> and it's like, and I'm like, because I was gen, I was generating all my emotions in there. And eventually, I just went off script because I felt naturally in terms of movement. But when I was writing the book. When I was writing the book, movement wasn't what, what was coming to mind. What was coming to mind, though, was how many ways this can live off the page. So while I was writing the book, I was having meetings at National Gallery. I was having meetings at the Foundry Museum. I was having all these different meetings in terms of, oh, what does it look like for... I'm like, the geek part of me is like, oh, they got Caravaggio paintings in the National Gallery. Oh, it would be so sick if I could read a poem in front of a painting of his. And I laughed at myself and I laughed at the people I was talking to about. So when it happened four weeks ago, I was like, raw. it actually happened. I was like, it actually, it actually, I manifested this from early, from like 2018. I was like, this is one of the aims. It might not happen, but if I work towards it, then I know how I'm trying to set myself up for this book. So... I say this to say that a lot of those processes was working in line with writing these poems in terms of how do I want it to live off the page? Because I'm not, 
I'm not, I'm a firm believer that it just doesn't have to sit in the book because people receive information differently. Not everybody's readers. Some people take work in different ways. Some people take words, works on a stage. Some people would go to a gallery. Some people are audiobook folks. So why does why do I have to keep all of my work in one medium on a book or in a book? So that was my main thing. I feel. No, that makes a lot of sense, and I think you could definitely feel feel it whilst reading it, but then also feel it whilst seeing you on stage. There were some moments where you like really shout some words, and some moments where you'd kind of whisper yeah. some words, and the delivery, I guess, kind of varied depending on the emotion that you were trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Where does that idea to kind of bring things off the page like that but to also think about the different mediums in which people take in writing where did that initially come from for you i think it's open mic i don't know when folks kind of generally go to open mic nights like poetry nights you should go man they're fun yeah. it's so super um but early doors in like 25 like 2008 9 i came through a mute like a live music scene so troy bar in shoreditch was like the, the the early stops if you know what i mean um and they have a live band there um and they'll just you write you put your name down and they'll invite you you, you put your name down when your name is called you go up and you do your thing but this troy bar was such that you know you had the likes of like i don't know like amy winehouse or like elise they just finished the gig at jazz cafe and then everyone's gone down to troy bar just to kind of like groove and chill on the open mic and I'm sometimes I'm just sitting there I'm just like rah this is a whole Khalees just sitting like two seats I'm like Khalees milkshake do you know what I mean like it's like this is super cool and the next thing they'll just get on the mic and they'll just sing something and they'll just do something and it was so cool and then the poet is called and this is the time folks would be like oh time to get a drink time to go to the toilet disrespect absolute disrespect and um, so you had to fight for your situation, like poetry between 2008 or spoken word between 2008 and 10. This was even before it even hit YouTube in a sense, like you had to kind of fight for your place to make people stay in their seats. And for me, after working with music so much, I stopped working towards music and the voice became the instrument. Um, I, um, I say this often and apologies and if you heard this countless times maybe like the last the last music gig i'd done was 2013 at wireless my old flatmate is here like i'm gonna have to shout you out you're here like he knows the days where i was just like i'll be in my room there's music pumping and i'm just writing songs like you know we had a there was a session band called the remedies and the session band they're like kind of like if anyone is a musician and you're looking for anyone's like a writer and you're looking for a band, this is the session band. They're like comprised with like bass, drums, and da 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 da. So at the time, the remedies were session band for me, Shaka, Ed Sheeran. So literally, I will finish, Ed will finish rehearsal in like in Camden, and I'll be going in for my rehearsal, and they'll be like, oh, and you're seeing these communities of people, if you know what I mean. But this is the cloth that I originally just grew out of. So after our wireless gig in 2013, a week later, I just told the band I'm not making music no more. That was my last gig. And they looked like they wanted to kill me that, that, that often. They looked like they absolutely wanted to shred me alive. They're like, this is our biggest gig. Why, why would you leave now? 
and I felt like I just wasn't doing a, a service to my writing. And I started from scratch from there. I just went back to, I went to a poet that started a poetry course in City Lit in Holborn, like mm-hmm. twice a week. I was working full time and I'll do evening, evening, evening sessions there. And I guess it was through that that I was just learning how do you use your tone? How do you, how do you use your voice as an instrument? And how do you kind of draw people in and give away so much but hold so much as well? And I listen to a lot of music as well. I'm a music geek. One of my best albums is Jill Scott. I don't know if you heard if anyone's heard Jill Scott's first album. It's a classic album. Um, and she's someone that uses her tone in such a way that it gives all. And it doesn't say much as well. So through there, I think it's helped to really kind of find myself, if you know what I mean. No, definitely. And I think music is kind of woven through a collection in so many, so many different stages. Yeah. Something I want to come back to. But um, in terms of, I think there are a few entry points into mannerism. I feel like there's an experience of grief there. Mm. There's a social commentary of essentially black life in the UK from at least the 90s until now. Uh, and also think there's an element of the, and you've kind of alluded it to it already, is the kind of Nigerian and British identities that both sit within you. And you, of course, have family members who are very, very, very Nigerian and have mm. lived there for the majority of their lives. Yeah. And you have younger family members who were maybe either born here or have lived the majority of their lives here. For you, when the, because I know you came from, you were born in Nigeria originally, right? Yeah. yeah. When did you come over to, to South London in the UK? Boy, in the early 90s, my first day in primary school. <laughs> ah, ah, wicked. Yes, so it's in Peckham, it's snowing. I didn't know what snow was. I, I was like, yo, why is it so cold? I was just like, this is a myth. I didn't know, I didn't know snow. I didn't know, I'm, I'm like, this is super weird. Um, And then snow melts, right? And I thought it was acid, I thought I was going to die. Um. I'm looking at my mum saying, safe, I'll see you later. It's been good knowing you. Like, <laughs> nine years of life. Old type, deuces. Um, and that's my entry in this world. So if you if you happen to be in Peckham, around that time, you looked out your window, see this one kid just running around mad. That was probably me. Um, and then it was the first first day in primary school. And um, even though folks wear it now, it's like fashion attire. Like my mum literally got me wearing like, anyone know Mr. Motivator here? Yeah, safe. So my mum had me like some Mr. Motivator Lycra gear, shorts, baggy top, shorts, kind of like tight. And like these pumas, pink and white pumas, man. I'll never forget. They weren't laces, like you this twist thing. What? Yo, listen. Yo, did, and you twist it like, oh my God. I'm emotional because people are going on like they didn't exist when I was talking about them. <laughs> they were bad boy nikes. They weren't laces, but they're like you, yeah. pumas. Like you twist them and they get tired. And this was this was what this is what mum had me in on my first day in primary school. So I'm going in there like waving. <laughs> I'm ready to make friends. I'm like, let's get this on. And I wasn't speaking English much there. I hardly spoke any English then. So this kid that doesn't really speak much English, dressed in his baggy Mr. Motivator top book for like. What a thing, man. And I had the trainers. And I'm waving and the kids are just looking at me like a record, just kind of like a needle scratched across the vinyl type thing. Like, rah, who is this kid? Like, what's going on? And I remember crying, 
crying so bad. Mr. O'Brien, my English teacher, he came and he was just like, it's going to be okay. But because I wasn't understanding him fully and because I couldn't really speak English much, I, I didn't know how to respond to him. But I could feel the emotions, I think. So it's mad how I went from a position of not not really speaking much English to now that I'm fully here and people are thinking I was born here. But there's a, there a lot that I've gone through in that whole process. And at one point, solidly, I didn't have any Nigerian friends up until maybe 2001, where two Nigerian kids kicked, started school. One of them, who just turned 40 last month, I'm like, fam, we're in the same year. I ain't for you. What was the situation? What, what, what kind of revelation is this right now? I was just like, what's going on? So he kind of came in the mix. And he was just like, he was so af. Neef, like he was so, he was such a Yoruba guy. Like, and it made me almost feel embarrassed. Like, I'm not like him. But it felt so refreshing to see someone so unapologetically African in 2001 and this was when we were just breaking up this was not a wrapped up school but to see him and his conglomerate i was just like i need to be in this group and um it was yeah so that journey up until that point i really separated myself from from culture like my own my own culture for the most part so to kind of reclaim it and find it was like a real journey hence mm -hmm. why the first book the first poem in the book proper poem in the book that starts it is my mum's one purely in yoruba because it's almost like that reclaiming of something that I felt something that I felt was so othered as in my culture and my language. I needed especially in poetry, because I didn't really feel comfortable in thinking that oh poetry could be accepted in 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 the UK if it wasn't in English. I remember when I was italicizing my Yoruba. And I was like, why am I italicizing the language that I learned first? Doesn't make sense. Um, so I jacked that bad boy right to where it needed to be, if you know what I mean. But And this is what I mean about the politics. The reason why this poem is the way it is and why it starts this book is a, is, is a thank you to my mum. But also, it's just an absolute stance and a middle finger, so to speak, to a, to a, to a, a society and to a, this kind of thing of how poetry should be and what it represents. Mm. Because there's an 11-year-old or 15-year-old out there that's like, I can't wait to show this to my dad because they see themselves in that first poem. So yeah, a roundabout way. Dig up my spandex and the lighter <laughs> and the fumes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, big them up. <laughs> um, I was, I was going to ask about the, the first words you see of the text are in Yoruba, yeah. as you say. Um, where I feel like there was a, a big element in throughout the book where you're kind of almost you're documenting both sides of yourself almost yeah. and sometimes there's tension between the two or there are older family members who maybe have picked up uh, I guess ways of being through living in Nigeria for longer than you have that yeah. maybe you don't have and vice versa was there an element of the book of almost trying to figure yourself out by putting all of these things on the page and saying well this is who I am but also this is who I am and the two can coexist even though there's tension at times yeah I think yeah yeah because I don't necessarily want to go through this like I'm the perfect individual. There's mm -hmm. flaws. Like like in that third section of the book, I'm outly just in the beginning just saying to my cousin, you should have called me. You should have told me that she has cancer. Only to realise that, oh, that was just my ego. Like, live. Because I'm the eldest grandchild. 
So I'm like the oldest of that generation. So I'm like, I need to know everything only for him to just be like, well, you haven't been around. Mm. And, but I think it's important to, sh- to share that in the book um, in terms of my own, my own fuck ups, like my own kind of like, you should have been better here. You should have known this here. There are poems in a book like Jay Huss, for example, that talks about Yinka and Yinka using his blackness to lure, to just to lure white women. Because mm. in terms of what does black excellence mean type thing. So, and there are all these different vantage, like there's these different points that I want to just put a lens on to be like, it's one thing to speak about how biases and power is, is silences black men to a certain degree. But also there's a different lens in terms of where accountability falls for black men also in terms of things that they should also reconsider or realign their thought processes as to what they might be considering is what is excellence and what is not. But the only way for me to do that is is to speak from these personal accounts and personal areas. But I've always been someone that writes, that digs deeper. And I can't, I don't, I can't say that for everybody, but I think for me, I've cried so many times in writing mannerisms and in, in, in exploring some of these things. Not everybody's as willing to do that. Headache upon headache. Crying, crying, is t- it's, yo, get the ibuprofen or something because it's, <laughs> it's not no easy task. But at the same time, in, in order to do that, you know, there's still the tropes of black men and crying that's still like now, like something that's like, oof, does that happen? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, why are we even discussing that? But it's important to share those things in the book, you know, and to make it something that is a norm, that is comfortable to do. So yeah, there were a lot of there was a lot of conflict that I was facing, but I wasn't necessarily trying to run away from it either. Mm. Why why is it important to share to share those things as you kind of mentioned? Um, I. Th- <sighs> It's important, for me it's important to share because I still think there are, there's something that needs to break the ice. Earlier before we started, I was talking about the awkward Zoom, kind of like staring at each other on the screen, right? Until someone says something funny and then everybody's like automatically alive and then we start talking. And I think a similar thing happens with black men in the space. Like there, there's this thing where it has to be a conversation about a specific thing when really it doesn't have to be that. And all it takes is just one person to kind of break the conversation to go a bit left. And then you see the animated sides of just these black men coming out of nowhere. Um, and I've got a really cool story for that, but I don't know if it's TMI. Is it TMI Thursday? Yeah. <laughs> is it TMI Thursday? Is it TMI Thursday? It could be TMI Thursday. Wicked. All good. Um, so I'm in this I'm in this gathering of black men. Really dope. It's cool. And like it, it, there's a, it's a meeting like once every three months and stuff. And I mean, we're in a group and there's the, the age old question, what does it mean to be a man? I'm like, oh, no, you're killing me. I'm like, oh, so I'm getting mad fed up by now. So now I was going round like this and I've just come back from like a weekend with my, um, some of my close friends. We just went out to Manchester to celebrate a birthday. And on the way back, we were all drunk and was talking about the most random stuff. And one topic in particular we touched on. And as we're going round, round, in my head, I'm like, yo, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then it gets to me. I was like, oh, fuck. And then I was just like, yeah, we talk about this, 
like what does it mean to be a man da, 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 and i feel like we always go around the same circles every single time really and truly i'm like why don't we just talk about something as random and then everyone's looking perplexed and like why don't we just talk about masturbation and all of them just like glitches in the system bro all of them just like and i said you know i was with my boys uber we were drunk and we just touch on this topic and we're, and, we're, and we're talking about it. And I said, you know, I can go out on a night out and I see a group of men, like maybe a group of white men or whatever it is, they could be in their drunkenness. Some of them will be kissing each other on the lips, but I love you, love you too. Smack one, fat one right on the lips, right? Or something. Slap the ass or something like that or whatever it is. I'm like, if I ever dare to kiss one of my man them on the lips or even on the cheek or on the forehead, <laughs> slap his backside or something like that the look i'm gonna get back it's almost as if i was never moved from nigeria to come into england in the first place type thing right so i was like and i was very honest and i was just like saying we can't necessarily talk about what it's like to be a man or talk about these young black boys in gangs or dying by, by like gun or knives or all of these things or how to shape things if we don't know how to even talk about love amongst each other if we are not comfortable enough to talk about masturbation as grown men and fathers, husbands, da 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 da, amongst each other, how can we even be comfortable enough to talk about anything else? That's our comfort zone to talk about this. We can't be that if we are not comfortable to talk about this. And all of the, and then there was like the pause of stuff. And I was like, shit. And then they just all started laughing. And then they were like, and then it, it got mad. They were like, oh, so what? But do you? Do you? And then they was just gone mad. They were like, do you? Do you? And then like one of them to like, yo, yo, have you ever heard of cum retention? They're like, what? A what? And someone like, yeah, when you hold it in, when you're about to like, no. And then this guy, and then I'm just watching all of them. They just light up, bro. The conversations just went every, but they're laughing. And then there was an older guy, one of the elders. He was like, ah, I don't understand. Why would you want to touch yourself when you have wives? You have you have girlfriends. You have this. You have this. Why would you now want to for yourself? And then 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 there was this intergenerational conversation happening, being like, Uncle, listen, when my wife was pregnant, the last thing I needed to do was to try to ask her, babe. Do you want to? And then all of them were like, yo, I hear you. I hear him. You don't want to piss off the wives. And I was just like, but I say this to say, that one thing opened up all of these channels. And this was only like, this was earlier this year. And if you're dealing with that earlier this year, if you're still saying that's like just a group of black men that I'm with, there's still like unteamed amount of black men out there that are still uncomfortable to talk about one of the most kind of like basic things to talk about, then there's still a long way to go in terms of how we move forward and how we get comfortable with our bodies. And where did that come from? What what did that set in place? And hence why the Mr. Marcus poem was a way in to kind of discuss some of those matters. So yeah, thank you for my TMI Thursday story. <laughs> um, but I think we, it, it, in order, and I guess that's some of the work that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to really um, I'm trying to make these conversations and make black men more comfortable to talk about things that they didn't feel like they can feel to share or, to, or touch on, whether it's 
vulnerable stories or whether it's something that they might want to be seeking advice but they know how to ask it and trying to what what ways are there to break these tropes and stereotypes that I've kind of been listening seeing viewing over time mm. yeah and I think that was a really big um, that was a really big takeaway I got from reading I've read it a few times now and that's a really big takeaway that I got from it. I think there's one poem that stands out to me. It's a, it's quite subtle in how you do it as well. I think it's called uh, A Plate of Artichokes. Yes. Where essentially you're at dinner with your partner and the waiter comes and asks you to pay for your meal before you've actually eaten. The cheek of him. <laughs> and nobody nobody else in the restaurant, he hasn't asked anybody else yeah. in the restaurant to do it. He's just kind of asked you to do it. Oh. A mix of emotions of, of anger. And then also, especially for men the masculinity masculinity element but also a man when you're out to dinner with your partner there's i feel like when romance is involved like the male ego and pride is probably at its most yeah. sensitive um if you could like talk about that experience a little bit but also just i guess what was the hesitation when you went to the page to write some of those experiences down or mm. did you was the hesitation that you had to push through or did you feel quite open in sharing those things i think i grew to get to a point of com- being comfortable to write it would I have would I would I have written this poem four years ago? Maybe no. Um, but there's great strength in having close friends. There's great strength in having people that support you in terms of just the voice. And that poem, that poem is a special poem because it's like I'm actually out to di- I'm out for dinner. I'm out to I'm out to have a good time and eat this meal. And this waiter comes over and the waiter takes my order and then asks me to pay. I'm like, what? The, I just seen you just ask other people and you did not ask them to to pay. I'm dressed presentable. Um I'm doing by look by by the kind of like, I don't know, the expectations of society, whatever it is, I'm meeting every single one of them. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm look presentable. I'm not I'm not looking at any way that my cause or whatever thing. And when he asked me, I was met with um hmm. Do you know what it is? It's almost like you do what you can to still try to adapt and fit into a situation and you still get that treatment. So what options do you then have? What do you what do you then do? And then I'm like, if I actually confront him now off the back of what he's just done all of a sudden I'm meeting all of those kind of anxieties and all of those kind of tropes and everything because all of a sudden I'm the angry black guy so what am I left with I'm left to just internalize everything and what I'm doing internally is I'm trying to map out all the different options um there's this protocol um could have been a mistake um give him the benefit of the doubt and I think that's the only thing that happens is you give the benefit of the doubt when really and truly why is it just not he done it because of what he saw and how he felt? Why can't I just call it as that, if you know what I mean? Um, meanwhile, I draw comparisons to Caravaggio, who, in his heyday, um, he ordered a plate of artichokes and the waiter brought back the plate of artichokes and the waiter brought back two plates, one in butter and one in oil, right? And Caravaggio's like, all right, cool. Um, which of them is cooked in butter? And which of them are cooked in oil? And the waiter's like, smell them and you'll find out. Whoa. Um, and Caravaggio's with his friends and everything else like that. They're all laughing. And he's like, hold on. You're taking a piss out of me. So what does he do? He reaches for his friend's sword 
and he chases this waiter guy around <laughs> the um the restaurant just to do him damage and i'm just like i would love love i would love to react in the same way that he reacted but i can't i can't react like that if i react like that then everything that he suspected i would have met all of that but if i don't react to it then i have to now internalize the way you've made me feel and i pressed it i paid but i paid but now i have to still wait on the dinner to arrive i have to wait for that waiter to serve me the food what i intended to have a nice evening out is now ruined because i have to now sit in this place for the entirety of this dinner and sit with that and i think this is this surpasses me as feeling as a black man i think this this goes to to like cross board to people that feel that felt that kind of energy do you know what i mean because you still have to you still have to sit in all of that emotion and which made the process easier for me to write and and look into and draw comparisons to this guy drew a sword out me no you know and it was an imagined violence of what i wanted to do with the waiter but it wasn't stuff that i'd done in, in actuality gosh <laughs> <Dickhead. laughs> uh, yeah no i i think something you said that i think really struck home at one of like what felt like one of the core almost tenets of mannerism was that you as we've mentioned you've come from nigeria you've come from some somewhere else you've come to the uk and i guess almost like claimed through culture through community claim this place as your own yeah um in certain senses but then that doesn't stop that when you go out into the outside world there's still going to be like these little provocations or proddings at you that um are based inherently on how you look yeah um, and will kind of remind you that this place you've claimed at your home other people in this place may not see you as of this place yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think you there's a lot of social commentary throughout where you talk about the euros you talk about um police uh, police brutality you talk mm. touch on all of these different things how was it did you almost figure out were you f figuring out how you felt about what it means to belong to a place as you were doing these pieces did you learn anything new about that as you were kind of putting these thoughts into the yeah situation? i think the whole euro situation was a scary situation i think when 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 the boys missed their penalties i remember texting all the whatsapp groups i was just texting i was just like stay home i'll stay home um the next day when i went to work i just went the first <laughs> i went to work the next day and i just said to my manager i'd rather nobody come to me talk to me today if you know what i mean i'd rather just hold a space if I, if that's all right because the last thing i ex i wanted at work that morning was did you watch last night what did you think because always that kind of like in in arcs like is uh, yeah it's it's always those things but i guess my thing was if i'm feeling it there must be surely like a group of people that also feels this right um so i wrote i wrote about it from a space of before the before that sunday evening saka was feeling like the man like he's been he's just been the poster boy of all of these situations you see what i mean and just in a space of like how many seconds that just flipped, it's, it's, it just flipped, like, it just absolutely flipped. Um, and even now we're experiencing it with the whole kind of Ronaldo and Piers Morgan interview. If that was, say, Pogba, mm -hmm. 
if that was Pogba, we would see something completely different happening. So as much as Ronaldo still being like kind of like the criticisms are happening, it's nothing, nothing compared to if that was a black footballer that done that. And I hold ground on that one. Um, so there's still some grace that's still being afforded to Ronaldo, if you know what I mean. So for me, I think there there were there were things happening in our face that needed to be addressed. Ant McPartland being one of them, I'm like, how has Ant and Deck won an awards 21 years in a row? <laughs> At all. This is what this is what baffles me. Ant and Deck have won the Nas National Television Awards. In the book, do you know what it is? The joke is in the book, it was day it was like 20 times in the book. If you get if you get the book, I hope you do, it's actually stamped at 20 time award winning Ant McPartland. As of three weeks ago or four weeks ago, it became 21 times. <laughs> Mad! How has someone won the same award 21 times? And in between that was in and out of re rehab. Everything I'm saying is Googleable, people. If you ever see the car that he crashed into on more than one occasion, and all that was being said is, you know, his marriage is falling apart, he's not happy at the moment, he's going through depression, da 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 da, -da. and he was still welcome back, and he won this award another three or so times. And my thing is very simple with mannerism. It's almost like, if you can, if you can afford that kind of grace to Aunt McPartland, please afford Diane Abbott that similar grace, mm -hmm. right? Because who saw the picture when Diane was in the overground and she's just mm -hmm. sipping a one-two juice? <laughs> she's just sipping a juice in the overground, just sitting in a corner. Someone, I don't know who it is, just snapped the picture of her. What was it? I forget what, the, what it was. I forgot what she was, what it was. Yeah, <laughs> leave Diane to just do what Diane's doing. Or you just see floods on timelines just vilifying Diane Abbott for doing what? For just drinking one, two juice. Let's just let Diane be Diane, innit? But you let this per you let this man, you gave him grace. I'm not saying that he didn't need that time, he needed that time, but you gave him that time. And Diane's just on a train home and you vilify Diane Abbott. Why? She's not a good role model. She's da 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 da. Um, Raheem Sterling got a gun tattoo in his leg. He's not a good role model. He da 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 da. But this guy scored unteen for amounts of goal for you love, to take you to where you're at. How are we measuring? How are we measuring grace? How do we measure grace? Who gets the time? Who gets vilified? Who gets? Who gets? Who gets the benefit of the doubt? Is what is what those things are. And it's happening so in our. It's happening so much in our face that I just felt that some of it just needed addressing. Because I've not seen it being touched on, in a sense. And I think, for me, the craft comes in when you write about it as opposed to preaching about it. If I'm preaching about it, I think it's a different thing. But I'm just like, let's just, let's just look at this. Let me just tell a story and let you lot discuss it. But 21 times. This guy don't need to win it next year, man. I'll be very annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be very annoyed. I'll be, I'll be very... Who's the lady, the black lady, on um, oh, this morning? Oh, this morning. Uh, did you see? Did you, anyone see Alison Hammond's speech when um, they won? Alison was just like, everyone knows it should have been me, and everyone knows it should have been me. Love and love deck, but everyone knows it should have been me, in it. I loved it. Everything you, you achieve it, but I love, I love that she gave that energy because it's true. Why, you know, what's going on?
you mentioned there about wanting to just kind of lay it out on the table as opposed to preaching mm. on the the craft element of that was there an element of just putting the feelings out there and then as you're maybe rewriting or drafting i guess uh, refining it or distilling it down to get to that place yeah um you know early doors when i was getting into poetry i was always t- like you know one of the main things i was told was you know but you need to learn craft you need to learn about the sonnets the sestinas the, the, the couplets, the tricets, the quatrains, all stuff I couldn't spell at the time, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I was like, oh, what's all this stuff? So I, can't, I found myself really studying these forms. And then I wrote these forms, and they were looking really good, but they weren't being accepted still. So I'm just like, I dumbed myself down. When I say dumbed myself down, I mean, I did not allow any form of my own culture to kind of etch itself mm. at all in any of my writing. Because what I was writing to was the aesthetic of what I thought was British poetry. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted to kind of, I felt that was my way in, only to realise that it just wasn't accepted anyway. So I was just like, oh, I'm better off just doing what the hell I want. Like, But what happened was, in knowing, in knowing some of these forms already, I was like, oh, I have a, it's like a playground I have right now, just to kind of um, mess about a little bit. So I just jarred, I jarred the system to the best of me that I wanted to. So the Sestina, for example. The Sestina is the only poetic form that I've had to draw up an Excel sheet separate to the Word document just to write the poem. Whenever you just, I, I hate an Excel sheet for the life of me, but I needed an Excel sheet in order to write this poem just for the form type thing. And um, I added Yoruba in there just to kind of like make it different. Do you see what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's the ability to learn something so much and then put yourself in there and for me that was like a really fun part so street sermon is a really good example of that um street sermon so i'm holding my son i'm going home and i just see this group of boys one of them is on the phone and he's like fam when i see you see what i'm gonna do to you fam i'm gonna do it sounded really angry this dude was really angry and you just have like a the group of boys around him and like yeah yeah get into him tell him scare him do more and i was just like walking but to me it sounded like it sounded like a sermon i would hear in church listen if you ever if you've never witnessed a pentecostal nigerian church i would say listen get your backsides down there or just kind of watch them some programs because you're in for a treat but when i hear this when i hear the preacher in a sermon they will just, they will always just be like, in the name of Jesus, amen. And it's very rhythmic. But then grime, right? You go to grime and the grime's MC, and the grime MC is like, you're like, going to the page of Hackney. Yeah, Hackney, yeah, Hackney, yeah. And uh, it was very, it's very rhythmic, right? And the repetition. And to me, the guy, the way the guy was sounding was like, when I see you fam, I'm going to do this to you fam. Trust me on my mom's life. Did I did and I was just like, this is very rhythmic to me. Even though it was it was a it was a outright threat that was being sent to this guy on the phone, the way he was saying it and shouting it, it reminded me of church and it reminded me of grime. And I just brought both of them in. And what makes it even more special with that poem is that each line is ten syllables each. So that's my craft in terms of like how can I get all of this done? 10 syllables each and still give the essence of these worlds of mine and it's just playing about if you know what I mean you know 
grime and rap was something I actually wanted to ask about because again that's something that's very present throughout and I think uh, for a lot of for a lot of black writers especially in this country I think for me growing up rap was probably the most accessible form of like black British art yeah. there was to me I, I, there wasn't necessarily books you could grab out and read or films you could watch or TV you could watch mm. and I think that's true for a lot of writer, contemporary writers you see today I wanted to ask you about how much of that if that was uh, a similar experience you shared, but also how listening to those before delving then into your actual craft, which maybe came a little bit later, mm. how did delving into those art forms actually impact the way you put words together? Do you sometimes see it on the page where you see like, oh, this is a reference back to Kano yeah. P's and Q's from 2005? Or yeah, you, well, you know, me and Neef, sidebar, we geek about music all the time. There's, a, there's actually a WhatsApp group that we're in that's, like, dedicated to just, like, talking about weekly releases of music and everything. So this is, like... And also he's got a book coming out next year. He's been very shy about this whole situation. That's, <laughs> like, kind of, like, detailing journalism and music. He's made the Adenuga family, people. This is a different kind of thing. Um, yeah, music plays a huge part. Um, and, I, and I love the little nuggets of music that I put in the book because it's part of me aesthetically do you know what I mean I can't I can't write there's, there's no way I could have written mannerism if not adding elements of those parts in there like rap grime um, soul pop to some degree as well like all of these different things they um, they, they 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 hold a very special space in order for it to be to be written and in some way shape or form it has to kind of bleed itself into into the poems um yeah yeah I don't, yeah i don't even know i'm a geek for it. i love i love music i love i love i love music man listen I, I, that's another story but it's, it's almost like it's 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 just what the the same emotion i would want for music i would want to kind of lean in to with the poems and see how that how that comes out do you see what i mean um, and in some cases with some of the poems I was listening I was hearing music in my head in terms of the B pad so Street Simon the Mr. Marcus poem Distant Daily Joe all of those things there was music in that I'm working with that I'm not listening to but I'm just working with in my head in order to kind of write them out in terms of the rhythmic pattern to it and there's in actual songs that are, are actual songs or was it music you were kind of making in your head in my head, oh, sounds weird, sounds so strange, but it's just, it, it, it's, 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 there's like a rhythm and a pattern, and, and I hear it when I read it as well. I'm just like, yeah, I've stuck to that over time, and it's not left mm. me. And I'm like, okay, cool, it didn't come out of nowhere. This is like, this is this is the pattern and specific rhythm that I want to work with in there. So I thought that that was, yeah, it was special, man. I wonder if a band could play it as well. That would make it even more special. Need an electric guitar or something. Sick. Sorry. <laughs> I go off. <laughs> I go off. I go off. Is uh is writing in general um a space where you feel like you can because when you were talking about this, it feels like you can bring all of the elements that you might geek out over music, um or process things that are going on in your life. Is writing a space where you really feel like you can be yourself regardless? Yes, but I do have family members and friends that are shook on a constant basis. I have friends that if they read the poem, like, yo, yons, was that about me? In fact, exes called me one time, he'd be like, so I heard this poem, and I was like, uh, what? Um, 
and in some cases they're like they're all cases that um, I don't know my so they'll never know but people will just know do you see what I mean and in some cases I blatantly just like put the name do you know what I mean um, but of course I've told him in advance and some of them they'll know of so what I love but I also love the so in the Jay Huss poem I, I, I reference Conrad who's a, a close friend of mine and in the situation that happened in the J-House poem, Conrad was DJing on that night at the Prince of Peckham. And, but Conrad didn't know he was in the book until he received the proof copy. And he sent me a screenshot of his face when he noticed his name. I feel like I'm going to pull it up on my phone. And the face was just awesome. Because I was just like, I love that. I love, I love the idea of just surprising some of my close friends and just placing them in these poems because they've all been part of it. And I guess that's it. It's a very big community that's helped in supporting to, to bring this book alive and making them a part of it. Giving them a piece to, to own that they're in, that it's marked for life, if you know what I mean. So um, writing very close involves all these different parts. And I said it's very close, so it's close friends, it's work related. And I think people just expect that of me to be like, he's going to write from a specific space, but it's like <laughs> lucky draw. Let's just hope it's me or not me. I work with young people aside. I work with, um, I work in Camden um, with, I'm, I'm a, I work within a virtual school. So I work on a mental capacity. This one young person is 13. And um, <laughs> he was like, yo, man, how'd you got a book? Have you, will you write about me? Like, will you like are you going to write about me? And I'm like, no, 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 this isn't, I'm not, I'm not asking like for you to be like, no, I'm actually saying like, we, you need to write about me at some point. Like, we, need to, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. I was just like, I'm like, I'm working on a play at the moment and I'm looking into my job. Yeah, but does it mention my name? I'm like, I don't know if ethically I can actually mention your name. It's like, no, 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 I give you consent. You can actually mention my name. So I think this like, but again, I love that idea because I don't talk about my work. I don't talk about this side at work. I just keep it at work. So randomly, there might be colleagues. They're like, I saw you in The Guardian the other day. Why am I seeing you in The Guardian? Like, what don't I know type thing? Because I kind of like to keep both of them quite separate, if you know what I mean. But as it's slowly oozing out there, it's good to kind of get those feelers because that's what kind of keeps the heartbeat of all of this alive as well mm. for me. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. The final question I had before we get some questions for you. Is, um, Take it easy on me, please. <laughs> What's um, your favourite colour? Oh, yeah! <laughs> that could work. I'm good with that. Uh, the book has, of course, been out for over a month now. Yeah. And you've been taken across the country. Mm -hmm. People have been reading it. I'm sure people have been messaging you. Mm. Is there anything you've learned about the book in that period that maybe you wouldn't have been able to realise when it was just you, when it was just a book in you? Because now, of course... It's no longer just yours. Hmm. I think I'm taken back by how it's just sitting with people. Um, I I received the voice note in DM, and uh, this lady was talking about the book, and she's burst into tears, and I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was just like, you write something from a space and you don't necessarily know what it's going to do, right? And then it goes out and the world receives it in very interesting ways. Um, so on that end, it felt very emotional. There was a review of the book 
from someone that said they thoroughly <coughs> enjoyed it. They gave it five stars. I was like, cheers in my head. <laughs> and they were like, the only part that really was a bit annoying and frustrating was the fact that they had to pause at some points when it came to Yoruba. And then they had to Google what the translations meant. And they found that thoroughly like irritating type thing. And in my head, I'm thinking, but I came into this country not even knowing English at all. All of my life, all I've been doing is assimilating and trying to understand the cultures and the language and everything of this land. And you, you, a whole you, are frustrated that you have to do this one task <laughs> and get on the whole Google to kind of find these words. And you're finding that painful and irritating. And I was like, good. I was like, good. Because I was just like, now you know what that's like. Now you can now imagine for people that, that English is not the first language and they have to kind of find out all of these kind of colloquialisms, all of these different things, how irritating and how hard working of us it is to try to adapt and fit in. And you were just dealing with one book and you're pissed off. Now imagine us actually trying to grow in this whole situation. So for me, it's those different things that are cropping up. Um, and then when it was shortlisted for the T.S. Eliot, I was just like, yo, this is like the biggest poetry prize in the UK. And I'm like, oh. And I laughed as well because I'm mentioning Bagel King. And if you know Bagel King from like South London, it's, I'm just like, how is this book that's talking about Bagel King, Mr. Marcus, all of these different references be shortlisted one of 10 books for the biggest poetry prize in the UK? And how, and how do I feel? And I feel, and I think that feeling was, I got there because I trusted in my gut and I didn't stick to the standards that I felt a society needed of me or what was being called of me. And I trusted in my own voice and the people around me in order to do so. And I think I'm, I'm leaning towards that going forward in terms of just like, yep, yeah, status quo is gonna be doing this. And my, my absolute job going forward is to, is to disrupt that and have fun in disrupting it. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> no, definitely. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I think we're going to pass to some questions now. Um, oh, snail. And then I'll, I think for the sake of the recording, I will repeat the question to Yomi. But if anybody has any. Yomi, I've known you since I was 16 years old. Stop the noise. And I'm 21 years old. Stop the noise. You just um, made me feel older than I cheers. Thank you very much. This man mentored me through lots of spoken word, figuring it all out, all of this stuff. And I think one of the things that I have valued most having you be accessible to me is a relationship with a with an older black man. Do you know mm. what I mean? I have a beautiful relationship with my father mm. and I value him for that every day. But there's levels that he hasn't accessed that I was able to then come to you and ask questions and get answers, you know? And I guess my question would be then, do you see how easy is it for you to receive the flowers that you deserve? I don't. Because I know that I run I away from it so much. And, and he, is, he is seeing everything that I see and everything yeah. that I have been able to see. And I think, especially for black men and women in the arts, it's difficult for us sometimes to accept our graces. Yeah. And I just wondered if that has been a process, especially in the five years that I've known you, that you've it has learned to accept. Two weeks ago, I took myself out to dinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Over the weekend, I took myself to the cinema. I watched Black Panther, like Wakanda forever. Yeah. 
it was Odie and Lux in Is Lytton. It was it was nice. I had my nice kind of like crispy chicken and fries, and it was just me. And it's very rare that I just take myself out to kind of, and I think it's it's taking myself out to just because I haven't. I've been touring this book since October third, and it's been back to back every week until like December fourteenth is my last day for twenty twenty two. I've been ill, so ill last week. I've not given myself the space of time. But also in saying that I've not given myself space and time to receive my own flowers for myself. Like off the South Bank shows, people are just like, it was incredible, it was this, and breathe last year, it was this, this, but I've not sat down to actually reflect on your creating work that's effectively changing lives. Like there were some people that have like done some stuff and they wrote me letters that's it's gone on to do amazing things. I'll tell you what was amazing though. Um <laughs> my boy, he's eight. So, like, sometimes it'll just hit you with something. The kids generally, kids just got this thing where they will just spring something on you that you just didn't see coming, like a curveball. And I'm dropping him, I'm dropping him to school. And he's like, Dad, I said, yes, no. He's like, how's mannerism coming along? I was like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And um, I was quiet. And I'm like, it's it's coming along good. Like I'm 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 getting I'm nearing the end of it. And he's like, good dad, good dad, proud of you. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm just hit, like emotionally, I'm just hit because I'm not expecting that because he's asked when some of the closest friends, peers in his poetry realm have never asked me once in the four years that I've been writing this book, how is that going? But my boy kind of sensed something and enough just to be like. How was it going? And I guess that got me mad emotional. Because I'm just like, once in a while, I just would like someone just to ask me, how's it all going? And and there's, so, there's something generally in that question, like, how are you? How is it going? That can really change the day. Especially if you get it first thing in the morning, like, can really set the tone of the rest of the day. So that that's there. So I'm I'm gradually working on, on reflecting and and being thankful. I think, that, I think that's a really. I I managed to check my dad away on holiday this summer. You check you out. What? I want this what? to be my boy oh, in the future. This is it. And and I think I often see. I've grown up with a lot of, like all my pretty much all my cousins are men as well. Right? Yeah. And I feel like there is a, a level within, the black male community where, they find it difficult to accept, the graces that that they're being given. Right. Yeah. My dad can't say thank you. Mm. He can't say thank you so much but he can say I love you he can say I'm grateful he can say I enjoyed this I enjoyed this moment and I was like learning how to reciprocate that grace for myself as well because I know that I'm doing this for him right yeah and I know that it's he is he finds it difficult to then reciprocate that and yeah. say it back and I just think it's it's lovely <laughs> I, just, I always I'm always just like appreciative of, of seeing black men especially be able to you know, say thank you and, and appreciate your, mm. the love that we're all really reciprocating. Well, I appreciate you for that comment. And what was the question as well? Awesome. <laughs> awesome, awesome. awesome. <laughs> any more for any more? Yeah, I have a question. You know, oh, you question that you ask, and that's listen if anyone thinks that you really ask. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, this leads to a question that's a statement by <laughs> You um, see what you've done here. <laughs> this is this is what you've caused. When that, when that happened, <laughs> 
in a weird way I was pleased because mm. I was prepared to wake up the next day if we'd have won and for everybody to act like we had this brilliant united Britain and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know everybody be celebrated and that's not the truth mm. you know and I think Boris really wanted that to happen he mm. needed that you know mm. so I had this feeling of no let us see the truth mm. let them miss and let us really see what this country is really like you know and I know that sounds and I can say that from a position of you know being a white woman because it wasn't going to create danger for me um, yeah. for them to, to miss those penalties but I had this dark side of me that said let's see the truth can I ask what you felt did you think oh god please just do you know star, please do you know just win did you have any feelings of just wanting them to score because you know that would have been a great moment for them yeah. or did you think no let us see the truth Go um, for it. and if I don't say it probably feel yeah, free yeah. and I'll do it so basically about the Euro 2020 final when um, I think Saka, Rashford and Sancho missed the penalties. Mm. What was your feeling, A, as they as it happened, but as they were going to take the penalties, did you really want to see them score? Was there, was, or was there a part of you that thought, almost wanted to see them miss because the, I guess, illusion that had been yeah. painted up until that point was we're living in this like, yeah, great yeah. United Kingdom when the reality is that obviously they're still... Yeah, really. Uh, of course, racism and all of these things that really um, your So I wanted them to score, not for England to win, but for their safety. Mm-hmm. If I'm honest with you, that was the primary thing that came to me: their safety. Yeah. If they scored, they're safe, yeah. mm-hmm. right? I had a feeling that one of them would miss. And when, when that, when the first, when, when that penny, when it didn't go in, I was like, oh, sh-. that was the exact response. I was like, oh, shit. And I got my phone out straight away. And I'm just like, yo. But then when it was three of them, I was like, nah, nah. It, I was scared. I was mm. petrified. Because, you know, the thing is, I get, you know, on one side, I get the idea that of the of the being pleased because then we can we get to now see what this nation is like. But unfortunately, to some degree, someone could die, yeah. right? Someone could like literally die off the back of off the back of this kind of patriotism of this of this idea of and the idea and the thought is that the same group that were kind of like doing all of this just three days or four days earlier there was just they were celebrating those same individuals you see what i mean so for me they 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 i wasn't i wasn't pleased at the thought that they and this is nothing to you i wasn't pleased that that they that they missed it was a totally different for me it didn't sit either it didn't all all it was was danger mm-hmm. um if they scored if they scored if they scored, there's still a thing of danger that's still looming in there. Like this, it just wasn't safe either way. Do you see what I mean? And it 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 was horrible to see the next day. It was horrible to see for that entire week, if you know what I mean. Like it was it was absolutely horrible. Because even me, I'm mindful of how I'm going home. I'm texting everybody just to be like, just stay safe. The majority black community was just just being like, just stay safe, if you know what I mean, you know. And I think the ramifications of that, the trauma of that, still sits with all the, with, with those involved. Do you see what I mean? But yeah, I think it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that. Do you think if they'd have won, it would have um, potentially brushed things under the carpet, but it's still there? It always is, though. Yeah. Like. Yeah. 
it always is brushed under the carpet. Like it would just take something to, it would just take a one thing to raise it. I can guarantee like last week, there's probably a, a, an incident that happened, you know, like <laughs> when um, um, Kwame, when he got mistaken and he was just like, that's not my face. I don't know if you saw the tweet when he kind of tweeted or just when someone misrepresented his face or they swapped his face and was like, that's not my face. And when he got sacked, and I was just like, yeah, there's a reality there that everybody knew, but I don't know if Kwame realised that whole situation. So I think there's been different things that's been happening over time where whether they scored the penalty, we will still be faced with different areas or different elements of racism. Cross-board, do you see what I mean? Um, it will just be taking place in another way. Any more for any more. Hey. I was thinking about the conversation you had about masturbation. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> And... It seems like you're hoping to push masculinity and black masculinity forward in your oh, own bro. life and maybe, you know, in, in further. So with that in mind, how do you hope your son relates to this book when mm. he's your age? Mm, 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 mm. Yes, go for it, go for it, go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, repeat <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You just gave me that talk. Go on, say, say that. When it comes to the <laughs> conversation and the piece around masturbation Bad it feels man. like you're <laughs> it feels like you're a, a, attempting to push um black masculinity and the conversations around masculinity forward uh, so that brings us to a point of when your son reads this book what are you hoping for him to take from this yeah pretty much yeah yeah <laughs> funny story i wake up at like 6 45 in the morning who's in the front room with this book in his hand no. Just going <laughs> Right-eyed, he's just reading this book, and he's like, "Dad, I'm reading for the, I'm reading for the book. It's really, really good." And he's just got on the Mr. Marcus poem, and Mr. Marcus is where all of this is unraveling. I'm like, "Okay, let's just start getting ready for school. Let's go." So he's kind of gently working his way through this, and he's kind of understanding. And I guess it opens up conversations around the police, around him as a black boy, and. He's already aware of it. Do you see what I mean? He's aware of, of stuff. Do you know what I mean? He was just on the way to school this morning. He's talking about, we don't want Trump. Trump shouldn't be kind of going for being the president already. And it's a way, what, basically, what I'm, what, he, he's having these conversations outside of me, outside of mum, outside of the grandparents. He's having these conversations. Like, he'll come in with new rap lyrics that I don't even think I've ever played in the car. Trump and all that has not necessarily been discussed unless if he listens to the news, but all of this has happened. Them kids talk, you know. Them kids, what their conversations are happening within them, they absolutely talk about everything. So more time, he will bring it to me. Like, when we're driving past police officers, he'll just be like, yeah, why are those group of police officers around that one guy? That's not fair. Like, he's bringing it to me. And who am I to try to kind of put that to one side? The, in the acknowledgements, I do put that I write that, I hope that it serves for him in how to survive this country. Um, what I do, and I didn't do it tonight, because um, it's a school day, but big stages, he comes to me, like Royal Festival Hall, I bring him with me. The Almeida, when we were there, he comes with me, because one of my main things as a legacy for him and for my daughter is that I don't ever want them to feel like no stage is alien to them. I want them to feel like every stage they step on, they deserve to be there. 
So when he rocks up into school and the teacher's like, oh, how was your, how was your weekend? And he's like, oh, I was at the Royal Festival Hall with the Chinookay Orchestra <laughs> and Uncle such and such. And da 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 And yeah, this is... And the teachers would just be looking at him like, who are you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When he'd done it, he'd, we'd done a nationwide advert together in, in lockdown. And we'd done, it, we'd done a nationwide advert. His school tweeted him. If you ever see the bop this guy went into school with when it was open, like he walked in. And he's like, and he goes to the teachers, have you seen me on TV? Have you seen me on TV? And I guess for me, I just, it's, it's normal to him. Do you see what I mean? It's absolutely normal. And it should be, like it should be. Because at one point, I didn't see that. For him, it's Stormzy. For him, it's Dave. Like, it's, it's Raheem Sterling. It's, it's, it's Rashford. It's all of these different black figures he's seen on TV. When it was me, I didn't see that. I'm almost envious at the fact that, and I say it as a poem, the one poem, two poems they make it into the book. This was one of them. And it was talking about my envy of him, that he's growing up and he's like, yeah, Stormzy. And he's rapping to Stormzy and he's seen Mallory Blackman, for example. And I think too, when I was younger and I just didn't have those reference points and how lucky and blessed he is that he's got these reference points outside of me that he can look towards to just be like, yeah, I like what he does, I like what she does, blah, 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 blah. But now we can add this to the canon of it as well, if you know what I mean, but yeah. How old is he? He's eight, going on 35, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, trust me. Okay, my question was, you were talking about like, the whole masturbation thing. <laughs> yeah, I bring up again. Um, <laughs> I love it. Like, saying, like, I started it. <laughs> like, I don't think it was just, black men but I also think black women as well I think we take ourselves like too seriously like yeah. over like really like simple things like I'll be talking to my friends and then they're like oh I love you and I'm like this girl just said she loves me and I'm yeah. just she's like you know what to say it back I'm like the same no about, yeah, and I yeah, still haven't yeah. said it back but I'm just like it's so like that word for me is like so like it's got so much weight on that word yeah, she's just yeah. like I think she's like able to access that word and just use it, but for me it means like so much. Yeah, but yeah, I just yeah. find like when I'm thinking to like my other friends, it's just like we take things so seriously. I don't know if it's just like us as a black community, we take ourselves very seriously. We can't just allow ourselves to like be happy and just experience joy. But then I see like my white friends, they're just like, Yeah, I love you, kiss me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, not being, I'm not about that, but I am. Um, like, yeah, and you know, do you know the the thing for me with mannerism, I can only speak from an experience that I know of, which is the 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 black man's experience, which is my own experience. I don't even necessarily want to speak on the behalf of other black men because it's like my experience might be different to Neef's experience. Do you see what I mean? So I don't want to speak on the behalf of Neef. But if I talk about my experience, there might be something that Neef can pick out of my experience to be like, you know what? I get you. And I understand that. So I, at no point do I nef do I necessarily want to speak on black women's experiences because who am I to speak on a woman's experience anyway? Generally, do you see what I mean? Um, let alone let alone black women. Like Dave, Dave, David would have tested this. It was one time <laughs> I'm gonna say it because it's so dope. It was one time I was watching a TV show and the couch is like super tight. So I'm sat next to Dave and our thighs are touching. <laughs> Dave's like, "Yo, bro," and I was like, "Yo, bro, what's the situation? This is just how it's gonna be." But it was just the idea of just like that closeness. And now he don't give two hoots. I could be sitting on the couch. This guy is like man spreading, he's like squashing me into a space or whatever it is. But I think there has to be elements where, and that's just me. That's just like my banter with my boys in terms of being like, bro, we shouldn't be taking ourselves so seriously. Because once we break through that mold, 
were cracking jokes all the time. Do you see what I mean? And I guess, yes, the book has got some serious elements to it, but there's also elements that we should allow ourselves to just be a bit more free, you know? And I think there's absolute room for play and, and we should make the most, the most of, of that. But I definitely, I definitely hear your point, man. To a point that even sometimes I used to be nervous if I'm talking to my man then. I'm like, yo, I'm going to be there in two minutes and I put XOXO at the end or something like that or like an X and then I'll be like, if they come back to me, they'll be like, was that a typo, fam? Like, what is, it was gay, it was gay. But it's just that kind of language that now I just use it irrespective. They're just used to it now. This is, I just, I just, I guess the points in which you got to just push through in terms of talking about that. But I need to unearth why that is. Um, should you be interested? I wrote... <laughs> In terms of the poem uh, and in terms of masturbation as a whole and that incident and that situation, I wrote an essay for The Face magazine um, on your way home at home. Feel free to read it just to kind of get a deeper dive into just a breakdown into that and what have you as well. But yeah, thank you for raising that point. Okay, <laughs> wicked last one. I've got one about masturbation. No way, <laughs> you're lying. Are you being serious? I'm serious. You're deadly serious. <laughs> What have I started? I'm so your podcast is gonna be the so fire. What did I start? What did I start? I'm so sorry. It's all it is. Oh, were you joking or you being dead serious? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. it was a joke. And on that note, I think that is that is that cool time. Awesome. Thank you. If you would like to buy Mannerism, please head to our website, pagesofhackney.co.uk, where you can buy it for collection from the bookshop or for delivery nationwide. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe wherever you find your podcasts for more literary events like this one.